Hello and welcome to the Brutal Iron Gym Podcast, where our goal is to cut through the BS and deliver the brutal truth about topics related to health and happiness. Today's podcast number 1,569. The topic is Q&A and the title is really long. (laughs) So it's a long one, but I wanted to make sure it was something that uh, people could understand and or find if they were searching for the title. So the title is Compensatory Acceleration Training, Lightweight with Maximal Force, for maximal gains. So we're going to be talking about compensatory acceleration training. What the heck is that? Well, let's first start with the listener, the message that they sent in for this topic, and then we'll go in and kind of define everything and and give you my thoughts. Okay, so they wrote compensatory acceleration training and how you can safely add in more volume at a higher intensity and easier to recover from. So that was kind of their suggestion. So compensatory acceleration training and how you can safely add in more volume at a higher intensity and easier to recover from. Their example is your max deadlift is 700 pounds. You can't pull 700 pounds every deadlift session, but you can apply 700 pounds of force to a sub-maximal loaded bar. Is this something that you believe in? Okay, so I'm going to explain this and then that'll make more sense, but I figured it Good to do it in this order. I don't know. (laughs) Let's find out. (laughs) But compensatory acceleration training is also referred to as dynamic training, which is also referred to as speed work. So you'll you'll hear it in all three ways. uh, And that's essentially they're all meaning the same thing, is that you're moving lightweight with maximal force. And that would be like the term like sub-maximal weight load, which means like if I'm moving a weight that I could typically you know, do for, let's say, five reps, but I'm going to move it for two reps, but super fast, you know, or if I'm going to move, say, 70% of my one rep max for two really fast reps or three really fast reps, I can obviously do 70% of my one rep max for a lot more than two or three reps, but I want to move it with 100% intensity as as aggressive as I would move a run well, one rep max. So the idea is, is you move sub-maximal weights with maximal force. So I remember I was watching a video once uh, from Westside Barbell, and there was a guy doing speed work on bench press. Now, they, people from Westside Barbell are very strong. <laughs> if That's one hell of an understatement. But uh, they're very, very, very strong athletes. And this guy was benching 405 for sets of three, And he was so explosive, his upper back was coming off the bench when he would push the weight up. So he would explode off his chest so aggressively at the top that when he would go to slow the weight down, it would lift him off the bench. That was absurd. (laughs) To see somebody benching 405 pounds so fast that the weight lifted them off the bench was absolutely absurd. Nuts. (laughs) Nuts. <laughs> but that is what speed work is, like dynamic training. It's it's moving super aggressively with submaximal weights. Now, the idea of that kind of training is is it helps to promote explosive strength. So there force uh what's it like um uh oh man str- like f- mass times acceleration equals force. There's some kind of equation like that, and I can't think of it. I just heard it the other day. Uh, But acceleration is part of strength. You know, how fast you can move a weight 
it contributes towards how strong you are because if you're moving a really heavy weight but you can move it quickly you don't have to hold on to it as long therefore you can be stronger so acceleration like how fast you can move explosiveness is part of strength so to build explosiveness is great for strength athletes. Uh, uh, yeah, so anybody who wants to be stronger, whether an athlete or not. <laughs> and then also athletes who want to build explosiveness. But explosiveness is, is super helpful. Now, some things that we want to keep in mind if we were to do this kind of work is it helps with technique control, technique awareness, technique development only if you use good technique. So there's a balance between moving explosively and moving explosively correctly. So if I'm so explosive that I'm just horribly out of position and using a million different muscles, that's not the idea. The idea is to move within a perfect pathway, but as fast as possible. The technique being correct is more important than the speed in which you move. And that can absolutely be forgotten or kind of, you know, bastardized as a, a term might be. Uh, when people try to do speed work, their technique breaks down and it looks like absolute crap. And they're like, well, I'm working on explosiveness. I'm like, no, you're working on injury. <laughs> and it looks like you're doing a good job of it. <laughs> so it's like you have to balance great technique and then be fast. But the great technique is absolutely more important than the speed. Now, some of the idea of this, as hinted in the, in the suggestion for the topic, is that you can't lift heavy all the time. Well, what do you do in between the times you lift heavy? One of the concepts of what to do with like lighter days is compensatory acceleration training, meaning, okay, if I want to come in and do 90% for four singles on Monday, and then let's say, okay, well, rather than me waiting till the following Monday, and I might not even be nervous system-wise recovered to do like 90% for four singles again by the following Monday. But if I want to train on Thursday or Friday, you know, still get two sessions in a week, how do I manage that lift? You know, if I only perform, say, squats, only perform them when I am fresh enough to go as heavy as possible, I'm not going to be doing them very frequently. Therefore, I'm not going to get a lot of technique development. So the idea of doing lighter weights in between the sessions of bigger weights is you get more frequency within the lift and therefore you can work on technique more. Well, you would think, okay, well, you know, if I'm coming in and I'm doing lighter weights to work on technique, that's kind of boring and or what am I really getting? I'm only getting a little bit of technique practice. The idea of compensatory acceleration, moving the weight as fast as possible, as aggressive as possible, is, okay, I'm going to do the lighter weight. I'm going to get the technique practice, but I'm also going to build explosiveness. So the idea is, is you get more of a purpose out of lighter weight training. Now, sounds great, has been used, you know, oh gosh, decades, and people do it very well. Now, some things I want to kind of explain through and kind of process is, in the person's statement, they said easier to recover. Meaning that, like, dynamic training, like explosive training, speed training, compensatory acceleration training, all this fast stuff is easier to recover. Yes, it is easier than one rep maxes. If I go into the gym and I, I warm up today and I try an all out, full send, beast mode, one rep max, I will need some time to recover from that. Whereas if I come in and I lift, you know, 75% for eight sets of two, as fast as I can, can move those two reps, 
I, I will recover faster from that than I would from the one rep max. However, if we look at the spectrum of recovery demand, compensatory acceleration training is still a very high recovery need style of training compared to say, you know, mind muscle connection controlled bodybuilding type movements. Bodybuilders will recover faster and therefore can train to higher volumes and, and more frequently than somebody uses compensatory acceleration training. Compensatory acceleration training is still very, very demanding on the body, especially on your joints. It does work your muscles, but the real damage is on the joints having to move that fast, that aggressive. Uh, funny side note is my undergrad degree is in health and phys ed. And I remember uh, when I was doing my undergrad, they were schools were kind of debating whether dodgeball was something that gym classes should still have. And I remember this one school I was at, they had these dodgeballs that weighed like one ounce. They were like these foam balls. And their idea was you could still play dodgeball, but it wouldn't hurt if you got hit in the face with the ball. What I was laughing at was how freaking horrible it was on the shoulder and elbow to throw something that had absolutely no weight. So imagine violently throwing your arm with nothing in your hand. So if you stood up or whatever you're doing right now, you stopped what you were doing, and I wanted you to pretend to throw something, but throw it as physically hard as you can possibly throw it. You would do that and then be like, oh, dear God, <laughs> I think I just broke my elbow. So it hurt. And I was laughing because here they are trying to hit, save these kids from getting hit in the face with something like they had decent weight. And yet they're wrecking their shoulders and elbows by making them throw this thing that had absolutely no weight to it at all. And that is something that you would notice and feel when you do compensatory acceleration training. So I've done multiple cycles of it. You know, like I, I've done all this stuff because I wanted to learn it myself. And what I found, and many people will report as well, is that compensatory acceleration training is very hard on the joints. So you can do it in spurts. You have to do it in correct weight loads. There has to be a lot of control around it if you want to do it well and not feel beat up from it. So it is easier to recover from than a one rep max, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not actually that easy to recover from compared to like bodybuilding style training. Okay. Now, something I'll mix in that uh, achieves a similar goal, but actually doesn't require a lot of recovery is isometric training where you'll do something like you'll try to do, apply maximal force to an immovable object. So in our uh, gym, we have squat racks made by Sorenex. They're, they're three-inch posts, square posts, with one-inch holes spaced, I think, like two inches apart. And we have metal rods that we can slide through the squat rack, and you can put it at any height you want. And say, for example, you have, as the bar passes your knees on a conventional deadlift, you feel like a, a shake that kind of happens, and or you drive the weight off the ground, and then the bar kind of stalls out at that point. Well, you would put a metal rod through the squat rack at the height that the weight normally stall, stalls at or one or two inches below. And then you would pull on that rod for three to five seconds as hard as you possibly can. Our squat racks are bolted into the floor, so you're not going to pick them up. <laughs> Nothing is going to move. You are going to pull on that bar and you will die trying to pull on that bar and nothing will move. So that's an isometric movement, an isometric contraction, is that you're contracting the muscles, but what you're contracting against 
can't move. Immovable object. Okay. Now, what that does is you apply maximal muscular contraction. So you'll get a, a very good high percentage of muscular contraction within the muscle fibers available within the movement you're trying to perform. So you get a very high recruitment of muscle fiber contraction. However, since nothing moves, there's not a lot of strain on your joints. Now, do your joints have some strain? Absolutely. But there's no movement. So you get a, a tensional loading by the, the contraction of the muscle tissue. So it does contract and pull against the connective tissue, but there's a lot less violence and damage because nothing is actually moving. So once it's all contracted, it just kind of stays there and kind of tries to contract more and more and more, but nothing moves. Now, isometric training can be maximal intensity, but it has very, very easy recovery. Very easy recovery. Now, one of the ways that that can be helpful is it, it teaches the body to have a greater recruitment of muscle fiber at that specific kind of position. Now, they've done a lot of studies and blah, 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 and it's generally, like, you'll hear, like, not advice, but you'll hear people say that when you do an isometric contraction at whatever degree of bend in the joint, so if you're doing it, you know, with related to your elbow joint, whatever the bend of your elbow joint is, let's say it's at 90 degrees, you're going to get benefit plus or minus 10 degrees. So 70 to, I mean, 80 to 100 degrees of bend, you will see contractile strength increase with an isometric pull, like an isometric contraction. Now, um, you know, it's kind of one of those things where whenever I think of a deadlift, am I thinking of what percentage my knee joint is at and my hip joint is at and blah, 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 blah? No. What I'm thinking of is where in the deadlift do I feel like I'm going to die? And can I do an isometric pull at that point or maybe a little bit before that point? And that'll make it improve. So you do an isometric contraction related to the position in which you feel the weakest within the movement. Now, when you do that and you start blending it in and blending it in and do it more often, you know, four to eight week programs, it, it does have a noticeable improvement. Now, that can fade away if you don't do it for six months. But if you keep it as a regular occurrence within your training programming, I have seen it with clients where it does help improve that weak point within their lift. Uh, so we, we use isometric contractions because they're easier to recover from more often than I would use compensatory acceleration training because it does have more of a demand of recovery for joints. We also can do explosive jumps. If you're thinking about a lower body lift like squat and deadlift and you want to build more explosiveness, there's more options than just compensatory acceleration training. You can use isometric training like we said, but you can also use explosive jumps. Now with our jumps, we do stepping down from the surface that you jump to rather than jumping back down because that can be very hard on the joints. So if the whole point is to build explosiveness, but to decrease joint stress, increase recovery, therefore be able to increase total volume, then you want to minimize the damage that the activity creates. So isometric training, very low damage. Box jumps, where you walk back down from the box rather than jump back down, very easy recovery, very low damage. So how I mix all this in? I actually just had a client do a program. They're working on conventional deadlift strength, 
We do our, our warm-up of shoulders, hips, and core. We talk about this all the time. But I think it's podcast 1,112. is like a podcast for perfect warm-ups uh, or the best warm-up routine. You can find all of our podcasts on our website, www.berlinergym.com. So we do a warm-up. And then we do box jumps blended with our deadlift warm-ups. Now, I change the de- the box jump variation all the time. Um, if somebody's doing a squat, I tend to have them start with a lower box jump starting position. So maybe a, a, like a seated box jump. They have to box jump out of a chair. You know, something closer to like parallel. If they're doing a conventional deadlift, uh, we do box jumps where it's either just a, a standing kind of vertical jump or a one step into vertical jump. We do a lot of variations. The, the whole point is just keep the body guessing and learning and adapting. Then they do that with the warm-up. So build some explosivity during their warm-ups. Then, with their more heavier weights, and we'll call this our working sets, I had them do isometric pulls in a squat rack uh, where the bar was located uh, like kind of mid-shin, like two or three inches below their kneecap. That was their weak spot in their deadlift. So they would pull on that bar for five seconds, which is eternity when you're pulling as hard as you can. Then within 30 seconds, they had to go do a single rep on the deadlift. We did a single rep at 75%. Then they would take it like a break. They would do the five-second isometric hold. Then within 30 seconds, they go and do a single at 77.5%. Then we do the whole routine again at 80%, whole routine at 82.5%, then the whole routine at 85%. So their working sets were just five singles. One at 75%, 77.5%, 80 82.5%, then 85%. But in between each of those, they did that five-second isometric pull. Then week two, we just added five pounds to everything. Week three, another five pounds. Week four, another five pounds. Now, that was when we were doing high-volume work for their squat. So we were really trying to overreach on the squat and kind of bury their recovery. So we brought down the total volume of their deadlift, but we kept really good intensity by using box squats and and isometric training, like the isometric pulls. So we got a really good boost in squat volume during that first four weeks. Then the second four weeks, we brought the volume of the squats back down to normal, which allowed for... uh, compensating return of recovery so their strength would actually peak by week four and we pushed the deadlift so we actually got a nervous system peaking moment at the end of the second four weeks which allowed also for the recovery of the strength uh, uh, components and muscle components of the squat which also then we took that strength peak and we actually applied it to deadlift rather than a squat so we went from a previously tested uh, tested one rep max of 565 to a 600 now, at the time of testing, we assumed that they'd probably have a 585, but they smoked it. So we went ahead and went to 600, and they actually smoked that really well. But we stopped because we wanted to maintain safety and good technique quality. There was really no point in us trying a 610 or 615 if it was going to be super grindy or really negatively impact recovery. So we took the 600 and went with it and kept, and then just kept moving on in our programming. So what happened is this is a moment in which you can use lighter weights explosively to get progressions in strength. Now, we were able to do that. We're going to do another kind of like recovery phase and then peak back up in April is when the person wants to do another max. And, you know, we'll probably definitely going to be over 600 because we could have been there now. But it'll be fun to see. You know, are they at 620, 625? What can we get? And it was fun to kind of blend in explosive style training 
in order to increase strength while we were actually really pushing the strength in the first of, of the squats in the first four weeks. So the, so the first four weeks, we were really pushing squat. We did like sub-maximal volume of deadlift, but we did maximal intensity. So that way, in the following four weeks, when we allowed the nervous system to recover and peak, we got a huge strength jump. So it was really awesome. So in this uh, listener's kind of comments, they said at the end, is this something that you believe in? Yes. So I def- definitely, definitely, definitely do believe in speed work or, or maximal intensity work at lighter weight loads. But I like doing a blend of isometric pulls, box jumps, and then I do com- some compensatory acceleration training. But I believe that it can't be done that frequently because of the stress load on the joints. Now that all depends on uh, a lot of factors. How strong is the individual I'm working with? The stronger they are, the less often we can do compensatory acceleration training and the lighter weight loads we need to use. Now, the other part is if somebody's weak, that still actually is less often that you can use compensatory acceleration training because they're not, they, they need more heavy weights more often to build their strength. So there's kind of this sweet spot when it comes to who is best to use compensatory acceleration training with. It would have to be somebody who has very good technique because they have to be able to have good technique doing the compensatory acceleration training. If their technique is really crappy at normal speeds, it'll be horrendous at fast speeds. So they have to already be good technique-wise at the exercise. Now, the other thing is, is it's like, okay, they have good technique. I know that they can control themselves well. Do they need to be explosive? Maybe they're already freaking explosive. So, so focusing more on explosiveness won't really help much because that's not an area that they're behind in. So it might be better to take that time and focus on something that they're not as good in. You know, maybe they do a lot of basic heavy lifts and they've never done a lot of like Bulgarian split squats to build all those small little nuancy muscles within the hips. So maybe it's better to take the lighter day and do a bunch of weird, odd positions to strengthen a lot of the muscle fibers that are hiding in their big lifts because they only ever do big lifts. So if they're not a slow lifter, having them spend time doing compensatory acceleration training is kind of a waste of time. It's better to use that time on other things, such as small little nuancy weird lifts that help build small little muscles that are stabilizers or supporting muscles of the main lift and or kind of technique aspects. You know, if somebody has a hard time on really heavy squats, keeping their chest up and driving back into the bar as they stand up, the bar always kind of like shoves them forward out of the bottom. Well, maybe you should do some loaded 45-degree hyperextensions as the main movement of the secondary day because that's going to teach them to kind of push their their chest and chin back into the weight. So that might be a better main focus of the secondary day rather than speed work. So it really depends on the individual is, okay, what do they need? When when we're not working on one rep maxes, like maximal technique, maximal strength load, uh, what, what do they need the most? And if it is explosiveness, Freaking awesome. Then hell yes to compensatory acceleration training. Absolutely. So a couple tips on like whenever I use it, how I use it with people is number one is I typically have them do controlled eccentrics. I don't like them being super explosive and fast on the eccentric portion as well as the concentric portion because you don't get a lot of muscle damage and muscle control. You get mostly just the joint stress without really any muscle 
aspect. So they're not going to build like small little nuancy tissues. They're kind of missing out on the whole muscle damage and muscle benefit. So using slowed eccentrics is actually really helpful. And then you still be ridiculously explosive on the concentric. So the eccentric is when the working muscles are extending under weight load. So that would be on the way down in a squat or on the way down on a bench press. So the opposite of the contraction. So the eccentric is when the working muscle is extending. The concentric is when the working muscle is contracting. So that would be the way up on a squat or the way up on a bench press. So the eccentric speed, I like doing half of a normal speed. For most people, that's like a three count-ish. So if I'm thinking of a bench press, I want to lower, I'll start and go one, two, three, and that'd be at my chest. So one, two, three, and then I'll go up as aggressive as I could possibly go up. <laughs> so using an eccentric speed, half the speed of a normal eccentric speed is super helpful because it increases muscle damage, muscle stress, which in, increases overall potential for the tissues over time. And then it helps with retaining good technique. So if somebody's doing back-to-back-to-back -back -back explosive lifts, uh, they tend to, the secondary, like the second, third, fourth reps tend to get worse, 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 technique-wise. If you do controlled eccentrics, the technique maintains a better quality throughout the entire set. So I like those. I like doing slowed eccentrics. Then if you're using bands, a lot of people use bands when they do compensatory acceleration training, use a minimal tension of band. Don't make the band so damn hard that the bottom of the lift feels like it's nothing, but the top of the lift feels like it's a billion pounds. So you want to use minimal band tension if you're going to use it. And then make sure you maintain the right intent when you do compensatory acceleration training. The weight you use is not the focus. Technique has to be perfect, then you have to move as fast as possible. The weight, who gives a crap? As long as your technique is perfect and you're moving as fast as you possibly can, you use whatever weight allows those things. So one of the things, like two of the things that I look for uh, is to have slow decentrics that controls the technique and then to listen for the clicks is what I've tell, told clients before. What I mean by that is if you use metal plates and a metal bar, when you get to the top of a lift, if you're explosive, you'll hear it click. So the, 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 the center hole of a weight plate is a little bit bigger than the size of a barbell shaft. Because otherwise, how the hell would you get the plate on the shaft, right? <laughs> so so the, uh, like the shaft where the weight goes on, there's a little bit of wiggle room. There's a little bit of play. Now, if you're using uh, competition plates, it might not be any noise. But if you're using old school plates, when you get to the top of a lift, the plate actually lifts up against gravity and hits the barbell at the bottom of the plate hole. And then it falls back down and the top of the plate hole hits the bar. But you'll hear a click, click, like a click, 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 if you do a very fast bench press. So that's a good way to learn, figure it out. So put like... 10 pound plates on a bench press, on a bar, and then just bench really fast. And you'll hear click, 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 click at the top of every press. So I tell people is listen for the clicks. If you can't click the weight, then it's probably too heavy. So you want to use slow decentrics, which maintains good technique. And you want to be able to hear the weights click, which means that you're maintaining the right speed. Once you can't click it, you're probably moving too slow, meaning it's probably too heavy. So compensatory acceleration training. 
Can you use it to increase explosiveness and speed? Hell freaking yes. People have been doing it for decades. So yes, 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 yes. Absolutely useful. What you can also use is isometric training and box jumps when it comes to lower body lifts. So there's a couple ways that you can move sub-maximal weights at maximal speeds to get better gains, to get better progress. So I think that was super helpful. I hope so. <laughs> but uh, if you want to learn more about compensatory acceleration training, you can go to YouTube, and there's quite a few like resources that are really good. Like I know uh, anything from Westside Barbell with Louis Simmons in it talking about uh, dynamic training. Yes, listen and do anything he tells you. <laughs> um, it's going to be a ton of good information. I know, um, I believe Matt Wenning, uh, I don't know what his YouTube name is. I think it's Winning Strength. But Matt Winning has, it's W-E-N-N-I-N-G, Matt Winning. He has videos on uh, compensatory acceleration training. So you can type like speed work because he's like kind of like a West Side Barbell kind of dude. Uh, so he's, he'll call it speed work or dynamic effort. Uh, but he has good information. I know Josh Bryant, his, his YouTube name is Jailhouse Strong. He has really good information about speed work. Again, he's kind of one of those guys, like, if he tells you something to do, just do it. <laughs> you know, get the experience, learn from it. Uh, but those are a couple resources that you can check out online and learn more about uh, compensatory acceleration training, dynamic training, uh, dynamic effort, speed work, all those names. Okay, awesome. Hopefully that was helpful. Thank you to the listener that sent in that question. Hopefully that's uh, kind of what you were looking for. Hopefully there was some good information in there. Now, if you want help with uh, programming, anything like that, we do have uh, our services online. You can check out our website, www.brutalirongym.com. We have one-on-one coaching and we have live monthly programming. You can learn all about that on our website. Uh, but I hope that you, uh, if you need anything training-wise, always reach out. Always ask questions. If you have any questions, you have any feedback on the podcast, you have any suggestions like this listener does, if there's just really anything that you want to know, let us know in our email at brutalironjim at gmail.com. If you like our podcast, please share the podcast. When you share the podcast, let people know that we answer questions for free so they can ask a question and we'll make them a podcast for free. Pretty awesome. And then thank you to those who donate to support the podcast. We can actually do that service. I <laughs> uh, really appreciate it. There's a high hosting cost every year for the podcast. I give an hour to it every day. If you want to donate, you can do so on our website, www.brewlearnergym.com. Even just $5 a month, it does add up and it does help. So thank you to those who do that. If you like the information we share in our podcast, you can find more from us on our social media channels on Instagram. I post there every day and a lot on YouTube. So check us out, like find us and follow us under the name Brutal Iron Gym. As always, I hope this was helpful and thank you for listening.